A week ago, we shared the ultimate guide to breeding livestock in Mzanzi. And this week, we unpack crop production with experts sharing top crop farming tips for beginner farmers. This may be a scary fact, but as much as 50% of all antibiotics used in humans are unnecessary. Plus, it's trickling over to animal health. Dr. Raisi Begekana from MSD Animal Health explains why. We've got the tips on the ins and outs of registering your farming business this week. Experts in the sector share everything that you would need to know. And our book of the week is I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Saiti. And our farmer tip of the week comes from Dr. Safiso Ntombela, who is the Chief Economist at the National Agricultural Marketing Council. This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 114 of Food from Zanzi's podcast called Farmers Inside Track. To all of our new Farmers Inside Track podcasters, I'm Dawn Numdu, the manager for audience and engagement at Food from Zanzi. And every week, I'm joined by my awesome co host and Food from Zanzi's head of news, Duncan Masiwa. Hey, Dawn, it's lekker to be back. I've got a couple of hectic weeks behind me with, you know, me being a student and all. But it's great to be here with you again and our podcast listeners from around the world. But let's get straight into it. Now, a week ago, we shared the ultimate guide to breeding livestock in Mzanzi. And this week, we unpack crop production with experts sharing top crop farming tips for beginner farmers. Now, first, we're joined by Sandra van Eerden, who's a horticulture and post-harvest production lecturer at Alsenberg Agricultural Training Institute in the Western Cape. And she outlines the factors to consider when venturing into crop production. Well, climate will determine what you can grow. In terms of frost sensitivity, in terms of cold requirement, that means that some fruit crops need a lot of cold units in the winter to flower efficiently in the next spring. But besides climate, I would say the next most important thing is water, to have reliable quantity of good quality water. And then, of course, also infrastructure. If you farm with a crop that's got a very short shelf life, for instance, blueberries, you must have good roads, you must be close to a place where you can have a packing shed and cold rooms, and also not too far from your big center that you can take your product to the wholesale market and then from there as quickly as possible to your retailer as well as your soil. Soil can differ great in terms of the drainage, the amount of nutrients in the soil, the texture of the soil. So crops are in a way very specific type of soil they want to grow. And I always think that a lighter sandy soil is easier to grow in than a heavy or a clay soil, but that's mostly dependent on the requirements of the crop. Another powerhouse, Unati Livani, agronomy lecturer also at Alsenberg Agricultural Training Institute, shares some of the climate conditions you need to keep in mind when farming with various crops. Remember, there are other farmers that are producing in certain provinces, even if the crop is not a major province and they're actually doing well in terms of production. 
if you want to start farming, you basically, okay, find out in this particular province, okay, it is produced. But then now we talk now about site evaluation, site selection and evaluation, because you'll find that it doesn't mean necessarily that every town in the province has the potential to produce the grain. So when you talk about site selection, you have to consider that like the soil type of the area, does it have water source, the climatic conditions, so which are some of the things that you actually need to consider and think about if your farming will be successful. Thanks to our experts, Sandra van Eerden and Unati Livani. Now, for more information on this topic or how to start a crop farm, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za. Thanks, Duncan. And great hearing from our experts, Sandra van Eerden and Unati Linwani. Now, if you hop on to www.foodformzanzi.co.za, you'll see a trending story by a leading health expert Professor Mark Middleson explaining that one-third to half of all antibiotics used in humans are actually unnecessary. And surprise, surprise, it appears to be trickling over into animal health too. Now we're now joined by Dr. Raisi Bekekana, technical vet for ruminants at MSD Animal Health to unpack this. Dr. Kekana, in a nutshell, what's the deal with the misuse of antibiotics in animals? The misuse of antibiotics in your animals is just an issue that's continually growing out of control. Basically, the big deal is the more we misuse antibiotics, the less antibiotics we'll have to treat diseases when we need them. So I think in the article, it was very well explained what resistance is and what the impact of human health is on the misuse of antibiotics as farmers. So the big deal is the more you continue misusing them and giving them at the wrong time and the wrong volume, we're basically reducing the efficiency and how accurately they work to fight diseases. Now, could you explain what's actually behind the unnecessary prescribing and what's the turnaround if there is any? The big mistake we shouldn't make is think that are willy-nilly prescribing antibiotics, at least for production animals. So the issue with production animals is we have antibiotics that farmers can buy over the counter and antibiotics that can be prescribed by the vets only. That was developed to sort of protect some of the antibiotics that are more effective against other different kind of more serious diseases. For instance, at the co-op you can get your general sulfur antibiotics, your sulfox and your sulfatrim. And we have other sulfur antibiotics that you can only get at the vets, like your new flow. The reason behind that was the concentrations of the actives and how effectively they work. So some of those were actually set aside for them to be used by the vet. So the big issue is that the ones that are available at the co-ops, the farmers just willy-nilly go buy them. And instead of actually trying to find out what is actually wrong with the animals, they hope that the antibiotics will just close the gap for them. I mean, common antibiotics like your tetracyclines, for example, your riverine, your teramycin, your suamycin, all the other mycins that you can think of. Those are a certain group of antibiotics that are largely abused by farmers. So the big thing is farmers don't understand what's going on first, but rather they want to use the antibiotics as a patch. Okay, so this is an exclusive farmers podcast. What should farmers know? What is important for them to consider? And especially when it comes to livestock production. An important fact to consider in um, livestock production terms of antibiotics is always try and understand what you're treating for and remember antibiotics kill bacteria and some kill protozoa so an animal with a nasal discharge from a flu or whatever it has it's not going to get cured by you giving an antibiotic but rather there's other ways you can manage the disease 
like I said, antibiotics should be used only when necessary. I mean, a lot of farmers don't even own thermometers, but they buy 500 mils of tetracyclines every two months or every six months. And you ask yourself, how are those being used? How do the farmers know when to accurately use them? Another important thing as well that farmers don't do very nicely is weighing of animals. Remember that antibiotics work according to the body weight of the animal. So if you're continuously giving a 500 kg Brahman bull 10 mils of a tetracycline every two months, what you're doing, you're actually exposing that bull to an inadequate level of antibiotic that's not going to work. And what you're doing is you're breeding the antibiotic resistance in your animals to an extent whereby it will stop being effective. So a 500 kg bull should at least receive 50 mils of whatever you want to give it, depending on the weight and the, the package insert. So always, always, always read the package instead of what you're giving and weigh your animal. There's a lot of methods. You can use a weigh belt, you can use a scale, you can use an experienced animal health practitioner that can estimate for you if you, if you don't have any other means to do it. And another big important thing is withdrawal periods. All the antibiotics are written on their bottles, how long you should wait before slaughtering them and is the meat unsafe for human consumption. So that's what the withdrawal period is. It tells you how long after the injection is the meat or the milk or the offal safe to be eaten by human beings? That's a very important thing that every livestock farmer should should think of. So three things, um, use the right antibiotic for the right thing. So not all antibiotics will cure diarrhea. Not all of them will cure your tick-borne diseases, your heart water, your anaplasma. The second thing, get the dose right. Um, don't give 500 kg bull two mils of anything. If it's not the right amount, you won't work. Three, keep notice of the withdrawal periods. And then finally, before we let you go, do you have any additional advice to new players in the sector, farmers who may just be entering the space? Equip yourself with information. I think there's nothing that's that's bigger than that. Try and get yourself informed with the know-how so you start doing things the right way the first time. And then it'll be easier for you to run more efficiently if you start doing things the right way the first time. So read up about antibiotic resistance. Read up which antibiotic group works for which group. And just read out on how to correctly use medication and your state vet offices are available to help you if there's anything you don't know. Your local vet as well, they can also help you out. Just ask questions, ask questions and try and do things with as much efficiency as you can. And remember guys, you are in the farming business to produce food that's safe for people to eat. So if you pump your animals full of antibiotics, you don't take notice of the withdrawal times, then you're putting people's lives in danger. And very soon, people will stop eating meat because of that fact. They'll think that um, there's no regulation or things are unsafe. And people will just think they're eating the steak comes with 100 milligrams of tetracycline because that's what they hear that farmers are doing. It's not a comfortable thing to sit down somewhere and want to enjoy a T-bone. And at the back of your head, you're thinking, hmm, how much antibiotic has this been fed? Did the farmer keep to the withdrawal period? Those sort of things. I think it's important to, to remember the important goal of why we're doing what we're doing. Why are you farming? And if you keep that in mind, you'll always aim to deliver the safest and healthiest product to consumers. Great having you. And thanks for all the insight. Dr. Raisibe Kekana, Technical Vet for Ruminants at MSD Animal Health. Now at Food from Zanzi and more so here on Farmers Inside Track, we know that a big part of starting a career as a farmer or agripreneur is knowing the ins and outs of registering your business. And this week's experts in the sector shares the need to know. First up, Ilana Stain, who's the Managing Director at Company Partners, explains the difference between registering an agribusiness or another entity. 
great question. I think what a lot of people do miss out if they sometimes go to CRPC directly is the fact that they don't really get a bit of a consultation with getting the company set up and registered because getting your company registered is one part of this whole process. So usually then you need to go to SARS and get your tax registration and verification done. You maybe need to open a bank account for the entity. If you're going to start dealing with other organizations, you will have to get a BE certificate or affidavit for that. And then there are things like getting your name onto a tender workshop or a tender platform where you can see what tenders are out there. And then also something like the CSD, which is your central supplier database. So there are quite a few things that you can look into when once your business is established, that sometimes it might be easier to have that PTY than trading in your own name because they would need additional proofs, affidavits or documentation in order to show that you are trading in your own name. Whereas a company just gives that little bit of extra confirmation that this person has gone through a lot of the processes to have it as a sustainable business. So once again, depending on where you are with your business and your growth of the organization, there's just a few things that you need to consider um, on that. Ilana also sheds light on what you would need to register your business. You actually need to be 18 years of age. So if you are younger, you need to get the approval of your guardian or your parents if you want to apply for a company registration. And then you need the certified copy of the ID or the copy of the ID if you are on the database already. That should be sufficient. Then the other thing that you need to remember is that when you register with CRPC and I get a standard MOI, that's your memorandum of incorporation, which is the rules and the regulations of the company. It's about four pages and it gives you the basic in terms of what is directors and, and those type of things. But once you get involved with another organization, you can actually have a custom MOI set up. And that's really important when you start looking at partnerships, maybe different voting rights, maybe special requirements within the organization. For the initial setup, it's quite easy, but you can always change that at a later stage as well. You all have organizations like FinFi, business partners, and we've got very good relationships with FNB and NetBank for funding purposes. So if you guys ever get stuck, you can just let me know on that. Accountant Lungelo Nguanya highlights some of the costs involved when registering your farming business. In terms of the cost, there is cost involved if you do it directly then you can go to the CIPC's website there. They provide uh, the breakdown of your cost. So if you do it direct, I think the cost is probably less than uh, 20 trend to register a PTY. But of course, if you then request uh, the services of a, a registration service provider, then they will have obviously charged their service fee. So for the name reservation, if maybe you just want to reserve the name first, last time I checked CIPC, you were paying like 50 rand to reserve the name. And then uh, as I indicated for a full registration, I'll be paying close to 20 trend. So those are the costs if you want to do it individually. But if you obviously don't want to make mistakes and you just want to do it once and for all and you want the assistance of a registered service provider, then you obviously will have to pay uh, some service fee. And also if you just need additional things, more than just a simple registration, maybe you have other requirements that you want assistance with some specification when it comes to registration. You know, you want some advice in terms of what kind of name you can choose. Because sometimes you might find that you choose certain names and CRPC rejects them and keeps rejecting them. And then you might want to then get an advice of an expert. So obviously then they'll have to charge their own service in terms of that. But basically that is around the cost. A big thanks to our experts for sharing some important tips for business registration. 
Now, this insert is, of course, only part of a much longer chat that we had on our weekly Gather to Grow session on Twitter. And you can, of course, listen to that full discussion on Food from Zanzi's YouTube channel. Now, before we let you go, next up, our book of the week is I Will Teach You to Be Rich. No guilt, no excuses, no BS. Just a six-week program that works by Ramit Siti. The author believes that money is an easy way to understand human behavior and actually asks us to consider the type of relationship that we have with it. I don't wake up in the morning and I don't get excited about a Roth IRA. I'll tell you that. But I do think money is an easy way into understanding human behavior. I love the question that was asked at your event, what's your relationship with money? Because most people, when I ask that question, they go like this, they're rigid. And the answers are typically guilt, overwhelm, anxiety. Sometimes we have people who say freedom, which is awesome. But when I ask them, what does freedom mean? Their answer is always, I want to do what I want, when I want. I say, okay, what do you want to do? And then they go silent because they've never typically probed beyond that. So I got interested in money many years ago because I took my college scholarship money and I invested it in the stock market. And this is when I thought I was a genius, 1999, everybody's a genius. And then I lost half my money like that. It turned out it was just crazy times. My dad had encouraged me to open up a Roth IRA when I was like 15 years old. So he was like, yeah, whatever. But in retrospect, although I lost that money, it was a really valuable lesson because it humbled me. And it taught me that much of the stuff that I had heard about money just wasn't true. So I started learning about money as I was in college. I was watching TV shows, reading books, and I was also studying human behavior. And then it was that moment where, like in that book, The Emperor Has No Clothes, you realize that so much of the advice we have heard is just not true or it's not applicable. You know, I saw people going on TV saying, don't spend money on lattes, cut back $3 a day, 700 years from now, you can have $100,000 in the bank. And I would look at my friends, we're like, who wants to live like that? Like, I want to go out. I want to buy a round of drinks for my friend. And so there's this disconnect of the advice that was out there and the way that my friends and I wanted to live. And that got me interested in starting to explore money. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring. And that's an ideal worth preserving. When your family doesn't settle for anything less than magnificence, give them the best with Magnificent Maze Meal. On the field or in the classroom, Magnificent helps your family perform magnificently. Magnificent is a product of VKB Group. Visit vkb.co.za or like our Facebook page for more. VKB, for the love of the land. Now, this definitely sounds like a book I need to get my hands on. To all our bookworms out there, remember, if you'd like to review a book, or perhaps you have a book suggestion of your own, feel free to email us on info at foodfromzanzi.co.za. Now, before we let you go, our farmer tip of the week comes from Dr. Safiso Ntombela, who is the Chief Economist at the National Agricultural Marketing Council. Now, he encourages new farmers to consider joining commodity organizations that are aligned to what they are producing. It's always the most advisable decision to become a member of the commodity associations. So if you have interest in your stone fruit, you become a member of that related association. 
The reason I say that, because you automatically have access to probably the most latest, efficient, and most market-ready information, whether you look at the production, the type of cultivar you'll have to plant, the production standards that you'll have to follow, as well as the different registration components that you'll have to follow. The second one, to then become compliant with the markets, such as those that within agriculture being registered as your producer code. Then the second thing for me, once you become a member, which most of these things I'm talking about usually become part of your services provided by this commodity association, is to start understanding the market that you want to supply so that you understand before you even put the cultivar on the ground, you have an end picture in mind of what type of the market we're looking for, what type of the consumer preferences they're looking for in terms of taste preference, because that tends to determine what type of product you'll be able to do that. That's what I would say in terms of the fruit industry, because they operate more into the deep sea market. And our former tip of the week from Dr. Sifison Tombella, Chief Economist at the National Agricultural Marketing Council, brings us to the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Food Form Zanzi. Now for daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists to really go above and beyond to feed us. Visit foodformzanzi.co.za or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and there's Twitter for those people who love the spaces. You can also join our weekly session called Gather to Grow. Yes, yes. And remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. And be sure to also check out our sister publication called foodforafrica.com for inspiration and news from across the continent. But for me, Duncan Masiwa, Don Numdu, our producer, Megan van der Fendt, and the rest of Team Food from Zanzi, have a great week. What joins a continent but its continuous flow over mountains, through rivers, in the rhythm of the land? What ignites its future, but the promise to fulfill, to protect and grow the very life of tomorrow? African Blue Corteva Keep Growing